Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by director Sabrina Doyle to talk all about her short film, Go for Grandma. And in, in starting the conversation, I wanted to talk about when you came on board as a director for this, because you actually came on board only about, sounds like three weeks before going into production and filming, um, and still had to do things like casting and make a lot of visual choices in how you were going to tell this story. And so I was just so interested in that journey of having to come into a project very close to filming and making very quick and fast creative choices. Yeah, I mean, it, look, in some ways it's great because you don't second guess yourself. You go with your first instinct. And um, I always find as a filmmaker that my first instinct is quite a powerful instinct um, and that then I sort of slowly unravel, you know, the more I think it or overthink it, sometimes you sort of unravel your own initial visceral response to something. So in some ways it was really good training for kind of just trusting your gut and going with your gut and going sort of with your first instinct and first feeling about something. And my feeling was when I, when I read the screenplay that the, the first thing that came into my head was, oh gosh, this could really be something like the eighties films, the sort of darkly fantastical eighties films that I grew up with, you know, films like E.T. and the never ending story and um, Labyrinth and the boy who could fly all these kind of, you know, films that from my childhood that I loved and that, uh, you know, the that sort of felt dark around the edges, but also sort of took you away on these flights of, of fantasy. Um, and I, I really wanted to lean into that. And do, this isn't sort of, it's very contemporary. It's set in sort of glossy contemporary succession like New York, but it in terms of its tone and feeling, it really sort of evokes those 80s films that that I grew up loving. And I did and, and sort of everything from the score to kind of how we how we use the camera sort of um flowed from that from that initial sort of feeling when I read when I read the the, the, the material. I love those reference points as well, because even beyond the visuals, just tonally, the film's told in a way that, you know, we're kind of entering into this kid's world and yet it's very respectful of like if if a younger audience are also watching the film the way that they would understand it and it really understands how kids see the world and how much they understand um, and so was that something that was quite important to you with the tone of it as well with reference to those 80s movies that also did that for us yeah my 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 sense of the audience for this is that I, I really want it to be something that has something for both audiences for adult audiences and for child audiences and that, um, you know, parents can get something out of it and kids can get something out of it. You know, I think Pixar does that so well. Um, you know, I I kind of cry my eyes out at Pixar movies as a, as a full, fully fledged grown up. Um, and, I, you know, so for me, um, you know, I, I like to think of it as something um, that, 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 you know, people can watch, parents and kids can watch together. And I did a test run with my with my sort of sisters and my nieces and nephews, and they all sort of sat down and watched it and got different things from it. So um, that was certainly the intention. And look, you know, I mean, I kind of also, you know, in terms of the 80s thing, um, I thought very much that, you know, of the idea of not talking down to children and kind of not making films that are kind of you know, too sort of twee and childlike and and sort of cute for their own good. Um, I mean, you know, those, those things are fine as well. But, uh, you know, I thought, well, what if we sort of take childhood very extremely seriously in this film and kind of give it a really big, big screen spectacle and kind of have all these big effects and and have big actors and big performances and big adult themes as well. And so I, it really sort of is a film for little children that kind of was made for the big screen and kind of for, for for big emotions and kind of big emotions that burst out or, you know, and that take up the, the, the big screen. Right. And so I think it works really well cinematically, you know, you have kind of, you know, 
raging sea storms and swooping dragons and that works so well on the big screen and I think taking a child sort of in a world and giving it that sort of big screen spectacle was something that I really wanted to do and it came the film came from the imagination of a child the, the sort of original sort of writer and genesis of this story at the time uh, when he wrote it was only 16 so it really is a film that that sort of celebrates children began with a child um and you know was executed by grown-ups but but kind of really has children at its heart and is about um you know I, I like to sort of say that it is about the miracles of childhood and that ask viewers to kind of put aside the sort of jadedness and cynicism that we have as viewers um because we're so sort of smart as viewers we've seen it all as viewers we're so used to kind of sophistication and there's something sort of really innocent about this film and I think if you're if you're able to kind of put aside your sort of jadedness of living in, in in the modern world and allow yourself to be swept up in the film, that that's a really, that that's kind of the experience I want people to have with it. Well, to your point, it is so cinematic, and especially once we have the visual effects and things like flying dragons and all the imagination, but what works so well is the way that it grounds back to character emotions. So with, with the boy in the film, Austin um, Schoenfeld, it's like the camera comes back to what is he thinking and what is he feeling? And so how did you make sure that that was always the landscape? It was like, yes, we're going into the fantasy world, but we're grounding it through him. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... You know, look, I think that what what I think, you know, I mean, I'm so proud of the VFX and it is a big first for me doing a film with such extensive VFX and a big learning curve and really exciting as a filmmaker to kind of dive into that. But ultimately, the effects don't matter if you don't ground them in someone's imagination and in someone. And it's really, you know, I think my my producer, Ron, put this so beautifully recently when he said, it, you know, it's the reaction to the dragon that sells the magic, right? It's not the dragon. I mean, the dragon, we so we love the dragon. Um, we kind of based our dragon design on Falcor from the never-ending story and um um are really happy with it. But ultimately it's the look on the kid's face, right, when he sees the dragon that really sells the magic and the wonder of it. And you know, again, I mean, Austin did so well with that. I mean, on set, obviously there was no dragon, and we put a tennis ball on top of a sea stand and said, Here's the dragon, and that was his eyeline. And and, you know, it's testament to, I love working with kid actors because it's kind of testament to their huge imaginations that he was able to kind of, you know, imagine the dragon and imagine, carry him out a, a, a conversation with an imaginary seagull that wasn't there at the time. And all of those things, you know, that, the you know, all of those things that sort of he he could visualize in his imagination, children just go, if you if you ask them to believe something, um, they'll believe it. They'll do the scene as if it's real. And that's kind of the wonder. They don't overthink it. And I, I love working with kids for that reason. I think that, I think that, um, you know, I think if you can sort of get them to relax and sort of just tap into their, to, to, into their natural imaginations that all children have, that you can capture something really special. So, um, and Austin is brimming with emotion as a, as a child actor. He's, you know, he, he'll, he'll tell you a story and you can see his eyes prickling with tears if the story moves him or is emotional because he's just, just even in recounting it, he's feeling it and living it. So, and he, you know, he did that on the audition. Even now when I sort of speak to him, he kind of, he'll tell me about something that's happened to him and it will, you know, the emotion will sort of bubble to the surface very quickly. So I was, you know, again, it's, it's always, you know, as a director, you just always hope to make the right casting choices and, and then it, so much of that takes care of itself. 
I mean, it's, it's the casting choices, but also you have you have such a skill in in working with young performers in in the way that you kind of draw out those performances as well. And you know, I remember the the kid performances in your feature Lorelai, and then obviously with Austin in this. Is it something where you, the conversations and the language you're using is very similar to the the adult cast that you're working with, or are there ever kind of like slightly different exercises that you're doing? You know, particularly for a film like this where so much is centered on him. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it it's very different conversations, and you know, but but honestly, I mean, I think with Austin, um, you know, I mean, I had two incredible sort of um, adult actors in this that I, you know, was awed as ever to work with, and you know, it really, you know, when you're in the when you're sort of working with actors of the sort of caliber of Amy and Justine, you kind of just let them. You, you you kind of just let them you try not to get in the way you sort of I mean they're so great and so good and they bring so much and they have they ask such intelligent questions and they kind of also you know shed light on the story with their choices that you sort of you know that you wouldn't possibly couldn't possibly have thought of because they're in the scene they're in the moment and their sort of emotional radar is so attuned that they make they make really interesting and great choices and then with Austin I think it's you know it's it's you know it's director led i mean you know he it is kind of austin this is what's happening in this scene and this is how your character is feeling so i i give that direction whereas i wouldn't with the grown ups um but then he executes and he he ex- he finds a way of kind of internalizing that direction and having it make sense for him because you know again to him it's kind of you he he takes at face value what you say it's it's sort of you know it's wonderful i mean that's the sort of magic of children right like they believe you know, they, as an adult, you tell them something and they believe, and he, you know, he's a smart kid and he questions stuff as well. But um, so it was, it was a wonderful process really. And he kind of, um, you know, he, you know, we, I think the sort of for us, the key was to kind of just keep his energy, you know, simple stuff like, you know, with kid actors, you just have to, so much is about kind of when children are tired, they're tired. When children are hungry, they're hungry. I mean, there's simple stuff like that. They're kind of very, um, you know, they're very smart, but they're also, you know, there's also a sort of simplicity to their needs and wants and sort of, so just being mindful of that and being sort of being emotionally attuned to how, how your, how your talent is, is feeling, how they're doing, checking in with them, kind of making the experience fun and joyful for them and kind of helping them feel like they're not in a sort of formal environment on set and that they're not, when you call action, you know, action was very loose, you know, I did, you know, um, you know, I don't like to sort of have the set when there are children around too structured, you know, and too kind of loud and too noisy. And, it, you know, it feels it should feel intimate. So I think trying to kind of make the set feel intimate as well. And like I always with kids, I'm always very close as well. I always try and sort of, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to kind of be behind, a, a you know, in Video Village. But I try not to be when there's a child actor. I try and be right there so I, they can hear my voice. Um, um, but, you know, again, it was it honestly like, I mean, you know, a, you know, choosing once once we sort of found Austin and chose Austin um so much took care of so, so much took care of took care of itself because he was so good and um um you know I mean I think for him though it was such a big learning experience because he'd never done anything on this scale before and he you know he's um it was really I think the most exciting learning part of it for him was the blocking and kind of learning how to sort of successfully sort of block us and the, our scene was our, our film was had very complicated blocking because we were often running two cameras to kind of make our days because it was such a complex show so for a child who's to lead a film to be the lead and to kind of carry you through a film um and to block successfully for two cameras often around steady cam so often like things 
and also still maintain the focus on what the emotional content of the scene is really hard. And he did so well. I mean, within a sort of a day or two, he was really up to speed with the blocking and kind of got it. I mean, he's such a fast learner. So because we did not do we did not do sort of simple setups where the camera was like locked off and he could forget about the camera and forget about the technical side of it. The technical side of it for him was always present. There was always something really complicated technically to learn. So part of my job as the director was actually more than the emotional side, which he was so good at by himself, was just really talking him through the technical side. I love that. And, you know, obviously there's so much heart in the the scenes that are his character, Lucien, and his grandmother when they're on walkie-talkies and they're, they're talking between their two homes. Um, but you obviously, for the logistics of filming that, weren't able to kind of like film them side by side. And I love that Amy Madigan, who plays the grandmother, actually came on to set when he was filming his side of things so that she could be his scene partner off camera even um, and wanted to ask about how you feel like that really elevated what you were able to capture in those moments in the film. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, the scene, the, but basically the, 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 the scenes that, that we're talking about are Lucien, the, 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 the boy character is at his window and on the other side of a sort of very pretty narrow 30 foot wide sort of New York alleyway, his 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 grandmother lives on in the building opposite. So there's an alleyway between them. And so they both sort of stand at their windows and talk to each other via walkie talkie. So that's kind of um, that's that's those are the scenes. And um, we shot everything in Austin's bedroom, in the child's in Lucien's bedroom. We shot on the soundstage. So we built a set for his bedroom and everything sort of. Um, looking at him or him um you know everything all the scenes of him his face and and also the wide shots of the room you know from behind him looking out of the window was shot on on a soundstage and then everything um all, all of the grandmother window stuff so all of her coverage basically we shot in a real new york alleyway um and then we cut those. And so it was a conversation that they were having, but that was shot in two different parts, which is so hard because, you know, it's so hard from a kind of lighting continuity, blocking continuity. You have to kind of, we shot these soundstage stuff first and then had to kind of take copious notes about what we did and how, you know, take screen caps of our, of our, you know, for, you know, even down to what hand he was holding a walkie in because we shot the sort of, uh, you know, the stuff several days later in the alley so it had to match it had to his 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 posture had to match his, his, his you know the slope of his shoulders had to match we so we had to take copious pictures and kind of notes and sort of you know um our script supervisor was amazing in that respect um and really match what we had done several days earlier but really the emotional continuity as well because you're sort of doing you're you're cutting a scene you're doing a scene in two parts you know you're doing half one character's coverage one day and then one character's coverage several days later in a completely entirely new location and again our actors were so wonderful and I think what really helped was sort of Amy was always there you know she she didn't need to come in um for the stuff um on the soundstage because she wasn't on camera at all in those in those that the coverage was all on him and she wasn't you know we weren't filming her and I, I said you know I sort of asked her if you know I said look we're, we're doing Austin scenes on this day you're welcome to come but absolutely no pressure um and she said I'm absolutely gonna come I mean it's my job to come it's my job to be there for him I have to be there and there was no question that she would be and she you know she kind of she shows up and she's kind of she squirrels she's so lithe and kind of um she's often I love how she just often finds a little corner of the set and find that you know she'll often sort of squeeze herself 
sit cross-legged the, on the floor and squeeze herself sort of under the camera or somewhere, you know, where she can be really close and he can hear her voice. Um, um, and so she'd kind of find a little, you know, she'd sort of crawl along the floor and find somewhere and sort of squeeze herself in there and do her lines with him. And I think it really helped. I think, you know, it was really important for her to kind of build that relationship with him and, um, you know, um, and I, I'm just so grateful to her because, you know, she, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's just a testament to kind of, you know, her generosity as an actor that she, that, that she wanted to be there for him and kind of help, help him imagine the scene as fully as possible by having his actual real scene partner in the scene, you know, I mean, rather than just me yelling the lines, you know, um, which is what, what would have been the alternative. I love that. And and obviously, you know, playing Lucian's mother, you have Justine Luke, who does such a fantastic job. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a character that if it didn't have the, the correct writing and performance and directing could feel a little bit one note. But we start to get these hints of where certain actions and where certain words come from in her past and particularly the complication and the, the relationship that she has with her own mother. Um, and so what was important to you and Justine to really capture in terms of what's going on underneath the surface and, and what it, what is the relationship with her mom that, that informs this distance? Yeah, I mean, look, the film is a film about, you know, we talked about sort of um, fantastical elements, but with also dark edges. And the, fil the film is a film and the writer wanted it to, to be this way and the whole point of the film and was to kind of make a film about childhood trauma and you know the way that you know a child who grows up in a sort of traumatic um situation and kind of you know a home environment that that is not nurturing and that is hostile manages to kind of tap into his imagination um with the help of his grandmother and transcend those circumstances and and really overcome um a situation that he has no control over you know um which is the sort of situation, you know, that what has been handed down to him by his, by his, by his, um, by his parental situation and that the, the, the hand that has been dealt to him by that, you know, and he managed, you know, through his own sort of resilience and kind of inner world and dream life, he manages to kind of find some comfort and find some escape. Um, and so that, that was very important to the, to, to the writer and the filmmaker, you know, when I came in, that was kind of the, 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 it was very important to sort of, my brief was to kind of execute on that. And, um, you know, I, it was, it was, so, so then, it, so then the question became, we're making a short film and um, this character, Justine's character is, is an antagonist. She is the antagonist in the, um, she is the, in the story and she is the, you know, the obstacle between, you know, she, she is, she is what makes the, the Lucian's characters um, daily existence uh, traumatic and difficult and, and scary. Um, but she's also, you know, but he also loves her. She's his mother. And kind of, I think, you know, the children who who grow up in difficult and abusive environments do love their caregivers. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, they do, you know, it's a complicated, it's a complex relationship, right? And it's a complex, it's the sort of epitome of a complex attachment because you, you're scared of this person. This person is unpredictable. This person is volatile. This person is also the person that you love and the person that you know and I think what's so tender for me is the kind of you know that despite everything Justine's character inflicts on the child and um he still loves her and he still sort of thinks about her and he still wants to connect with her I mean one of my favorite sort of scenes that is that sort of two bookends of kind of um of at the beginning of the film she tries to get him to dance with her and at the end of the film um he 
he tries to he 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 sort of you know he tries to get her to dance with him and and you sort of really feel his yearning and his connection and I think you know it is a massive I mean Justine is incredible and I think she does this so well and she does it so well in Succession she does it so well in Go for Grandma is that she plays these characters who are who are who are difficult who have a coldness about them who have a kind of you know, who have a spikiness and have teeth, you know, I sort of think of it as having teeth and claws and nails and, um, and, and then, and she does that so well. And she does that with such character and such oomph and you, you're already, you're sort of intrigued. You don't necessarily like the character, but you're intrigued. And then she kind of unpeels it and you see layers and you see layers of, you know, grief and trauma that have contributed to sort of making her making making that character who she is and so Justine did that so well she really she she leaned into the kind of cruelty of the character she didn't shy away from it which I think I'm really grateful to her for because I think it would have been easy to kind of try and make her character likable like and I you know and I I sort of you know I I sort of think about as a filmmaker you know the films I love and some of the characters I love and some of the characters I love in cinema that are most memorable and not likable characters, you know, they but they're memorable. They've got something they're hurt and they've been hurt themselves and they inflict hurt on other people and they're, they're complicated and difficult. And, you know, I think, and I think, you know, traditionally in cinema, we've always had women, especially mother characters. You know, we talked about this for Lorelei actually, um, being painted in a sort of almost saintly Madonna type way and kind of that flattens them out. And that's not real life. I mean, women, you know, women are as complex as men and kind of have conflicting urges, some good, some bad. And I think that, you know, um, I like films that show that, that lean into that, that that uh, sort of allow women to be the space to be complex and not necessarily always likable. And I'm really grateful that Justine, you know, did that and kind of didn't shy away from that, but also gave us the complexity. And also you you end up feeling for her character, you know, despite the fact that she's, you don't excuse her behavior, but you end up feeling for her. And I think that's so hard to achieve. And I think it's, you know, I'm sort of so much, so very much in awe of her that she managed to do that and kind of have, you know, two things can be true at once, right? It can be true that she is a bad parent and not a good caregiver and, and uh, you know, abusive, emotionally abusive to her child. And it can also be true that she she is someone who is worthy of our compassion as well. So and to be able to sort of carry both of those realities was absolutely a testament to to Justine and how what an amazing sort of talent she is. Yeah. And, and kind of like going back to a little bit more about the, the fantasy and imagination that starts to build from trying to escape that for him. Um, I wanted to talk about the the kind of like visual effects and design of the dragons. You know, you were, you were referencing like the dragon was very much inspired by Neverending Story, um, but you were working with Telly Summers, I think, who did like the original concept art for what that might potentially look like. So it sounds like it was kind of like a few stages of figuring out even just, okay, I'm interested in the idea of, of textures like feathers and fur. And so how did you kind of start the journey and then have that lead to the final version that we see on screen um yeah so I think I mean look Tully was amazing and we were um I had the um immense gift on this film of working with some amazing visual storytellers and artists in in the VFX field and um I think so you know so much of what the film has ended up looking like uh is down to them and um Tully you know came in and gave us different ideas and he sort of we we talked about sort of eastern dragons versus western dragons so the western dragon is your typical game of thrones dragon that looks like a sort of saint george dragon that has wings and then the sort of eastern dragon is more like a sort of serpentine dragon so it has a sort of snake-like body um and no wings and 
I think, you know, I, I, my feeling was that Game of Thrones has really done the Western Dragon so brilliantly and so well and so realistically that there is not, you can't really top what they have done for that model of dragon. And the, you know, and, and they're also just like, I mean, the never ending story loomed so large in my own childhood and Falcor was such a, you know, everything about that film, but also, you know, you know, Falcor in this instance, Falcor as a reference felt to me like the right thing, you know, like a kind of, um, and, and then we thought, you know, we talked about textures and we talked about kind of, we, you know, we talked about him, we talked about having a sort of, you know, a dragon that kind of could almost feel like a dog, you know, that there would be a softness about him and big eyes and kind of, you know, that there would be, you know, we talked about sort of scales and sort of skin and leathery skin versus kind of softer textures and kind of it felt right that, that you know, that we have a layer of fur and that, that, that there will almost be something puppy-like about the about the dragon. Um, and the feathers, but we also wanted it to kind of feel otherworldly and kind of, you know, in the way that children sometimes sort of put together to, you know, children will always sort of, the creativity of children is so immense that they will often come up with something that as an adult you wouldn't because they don't have that filter like you know as an adult you're like oh those two things don't go together you know but uh, but because you know what what things should be and you've kind of learned how but children don't know and so they'll often sort of put incongruous things together and and you know and put feathers on a dragon like it's something a child would do right so and and actually you know and then when I started to sort of look in you know so it came from a, you know as, a, as everything in this film it's like what what's the child's perspective what's the child's eye perspective on this and that's where it sort of came from but then when I looked in so so we so we did talk about feathers on the dragon but but then when I looked into it actually dinosaurs did ha um, have feathers more than we sort of we're, we're sort of realizing I sort of looked into the whole natural history thing and and we're realizing the more sort of you know, more we learn about dinosaurs that a lot of them ha had these feather headdresses and feather sort of accents on their body. So it's something that dragons, dragons, dinosaurs that kind of dragons are based on um, did have. And so, so then we looked at drag, we looked at dinosaur images as references. I always, I think Fantastic Beasts is such a good kind of the creature design on that is so great because I think what they did on that, that I loved so much is they took different animals and blended them together so so you have kind of there's a dragon in that that kind of looks a bit like a peacock you know so um so that was a major reference you know I, so I, I like the idea of kind of having a dragon that wasn't just a dragon that was a combination of different creatures that had bird elements you know puppy dog elements that had the sort of serpentine body but didn't feel like a snake or anything you know so so we talked about all of those things and then Tully came up with two different designs um one of which was our current design and then one of which was um um which i i mean it was so hard for me to pick between them and one one which was kind of much more otherworldly and sort of um um you know and in the end i went with the one that i felt was a bit sort of friendlier but one but the other one was truly awe-inspiring and kind of um like if you saw that thing flying through the sky, you'd be like, holy crap, what's that? And, you know, in the end, we went with the sort of friendlier version, but but I was very tempted by the kind of very majestic or quite scary, but also, you know, grand. It was, you know, very grand. It was very grand, the other dragon. Um, but, we, you know, we went with a friendly version, but he gave us options, which was so great. And actually, we ended up taking a few elements from that other design and incorporating them into our current design so it was a very sort of fluid and wonderful process and you know again I was um very very lucky to work with the best of the best you know he's one of the best creature designers so yeah I was super lucky 
Yeah, and, and I mean, visually, it looks absolutely stunning on the screen, what's been designed and executed. And I think you've done such a fantastic job with this film in terms of all the different layers and complexities that you're capturing, as well as the visual elements. So wanted to just say congratulations on a really fantastic film. And thank you so much. It was lovely to see you again, Sabrina. Yeah, nice to talk to you again. Um, yeah, see you again soon, I hope.